0: This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table.
1: Words of integration and guidance. As Jesus calls the first disciples, we must see that following Jesus requires not just a scent of the heart, but a fundamental reordering of socioeconomic relationships. This is not a call out of the world, but into an alternative social practice. Since the Old Testament, the idea of catching fish with hooks is used metaphorically to represent the divine judgment upon the rich and the powerful, the call to be fishers of people is not a call to save people from their sins, but rather an invitation to join Jesus in his struggle to overturn the existing order of power and privilege. The traditional way of understanding discipleship as one of taking people out of the world because it is a hostile place, promising them a better place in God's heavenly kingdom, has been radically transformed by this insight. Jesus calls us rather to change the world in such a way that it will cease to be the hostile place it is as we construct the way for God's reign on earth. A reading of scripture from 1 Samuel 3, 1-10. Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am for you. You called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again. Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am for you. You called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Holy
0: gospel according to John one 43 to fifty-one. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, "'Follow me.'" Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, "'We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth.'" Nathanael said to him, "'Can anything good come out of Nazareth?' Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. When you learn something new, something that is exciting, gives you a new perspective on things, it's natural to want to share that. I grew up in a pretty conservative environment, grew up going to church, Uh, couldn't wait until I was old enough to vote Republican, I campaigned for Bob Dole joined the college Republicans in college on a pretty liberal campus, so I kind of felt like a renegade, you know, college Republican. And uh, when Christy and I were first married, we got cable so that we could watch, you guessed it, Fox News. Oh, I can't even say. I feel like I need to shake it off or something. That was over 15 years ago, so cut me some slack. I was a product in many ways of my environment. But then we started reading some books like The Politics of Jesus and Jesus for President and Liberating the Gospels, just to name a few books that looked at the actual teachings of Jesus in regard to human interaction and community. And I learned that Jesus talked more about money and possessions and how we treat one another than he did about heaven and hell. He talks about nonviolence and turning the other cheek and loving our enemies. And I learned that the gospel narratives are using and reframing or co-opting language about Rome and Caesar and applying them to God and God's kingdom and to Jesus And that that is an utterly subversive narrative that reminds us that God's kingdom is about peace and justice and the common good. And that Jesus is every bit a prophet and a revolutionary as much if not more so than simply a cog in a wheel of salvation that determines where people go after the lives that they're living now. My mind swirled, and I thought, this is awesome stuff, and also, how did I miss all of this? And naturally, I wanted to share some of these new ways of thinking about God and Jesus with friends and family members. So I would say things like, hey, have you thought about how a preemptive war against a nation that is small and hasn't attacked us may not be the thing that Jesus would have us do? Or, hey, I'm beginning to think that maybe a society that provides health care for everybody might look something like what God would have us do. But looking back, I bet I didn't share it quite so gently. Do you think these ideas were embraced as I shared them with some friends and family members? I see some shaking heads. I was called unpatriotic, a heretic, a liberal. I'm not sure which was the worst of those. Uh, And that I was flirting with dangerous ideas. Which, you know, is interesting if you think about it. uh, Being told that you're dangerous because you're not so in favor of war. And you are in favor of every person receiving the care they need. But there you have it. There you have it. When you already believe that you have the truth, anything outside of that can feel like a threat. You imagine that you already know what you need to know, and a disruption to that can cause dissonance, and we tend not to like dissonance. In our text today, Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, We have found the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. It's this guy Jesus from Nazareth. Nathaniel responds, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says, I've discovered something new. But Nathaniel assumes he already knows why that can't be the case. Now, our text gives us some important clues as to why that might be so. We're given three geographical references. It says at the start that Jesus went down or went up into Galilee, and then it mentions that Philip, along with Peter and Andrew, who don't appear in this story, are from Bethsaida, a town in Galilee, and then it mentions that Jesus is from Nazareth, another town in Galilee. So, three places are mentioned. And geography matters in the Bible. It's easy to gloss over place names as incidental because maybe we're not that familiar with them. But if someone told a story involving Flint and Grand Rapids and the state of Michigan and then said, actually, those places are kind of incidental, you could put in any name or that doesn't really matter, he'd say, no, wait a minute, it does matter. I know those places. And if those places are in the story, it must mean something. And the same is true as we read the scripture text places matter. So Galilee is the northern uh, region of ancient Palestine or ancient Israel, the area around the Sea of Galilee, and it's where much of the action in the Gospels takes place. And so for that reason, it seems like a very familiar place to us, kind of a nice place, right? We can imagine Jesus walking along the shores of, of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. But there was an ancient bias against it. If you were from Jerusalem or Judea, the area uh, south of Galilee, you didn't have the highest opinion of those northerners. Kind of thumbed your nose at them. In some rabbinical writings, those northern Galileans were referred to as Am Haaretz in Hebrew, which means literally people of the land, but it was kind of a derogatory way to refer to the rural poor. Galilee was held in contempt and suspicion by southern Jews. There was more urbanization, more Hellenization, in other words, influence of Greek and Rome, certainly in the southern area and around larger cities, and of course, Jerusalem was uh, where the temple was and where much of the educated and elite in Jewish society were. But even those who lived in Galilee had some thoughts about others who lived in Galilee. Because right? our story is taking place in Galilee. We hear that Philip is from Bethsaida. That's a small town not far from Nazareth. We're not told where Nathaniel is from. But wherever he's from, he doesn't feel so great about Nazareth. Right? We find that out. Right. So we always have to have someone who is lower than us, even if others are picking on us. And I experienced a little bit of this in high school. I lived in Sparta at the time, a little small town north of Grand Rapids. And we were in what was called the OK Kent or the OK White Conference, which I think was Ottawa Kent, and you know there was the colors. I think it's all switched now. Who's where? But we would play schools like Forest Hills, East Grand Rapids, Rockford. A lot of schools that typically were in a higher socioeconomic sort of area than Sparta. Sparta was kind of rural, farming, whatever. And so we'd hear that, right, when we play these schools. Oh, you Sparta, Spartans. I I cringe mostly at the Spartan part myself. but. (laughs) But if we're honest, right, we've all held this kind of regional or geographical prejudice. It doesn't take only a president to do that. So in our story, Philip experiences Jesus and excitedly goes to tell Nathaniel, who snubs his nose, he's like, Philip, why you gotta be bringing people here from that shithole Nazareth? He thinks he already knows about Nazareth. He thinks that whatever important thing might be happening in their world, it can't come from there. He can't imagine God would stoop so low as to do anything of significance involving Nazareth. But if we're to open ourselves up to whatever good and holy thing is afoot, we're wise to realize that God arrives in our world, most often in the unexpected, on the edges, among people that everybody else has trampled on and written off, which is why it matters when a political leader makes racist comments involving El Salvador and Haiti and African nations. It also reminds us not to assume we know everything there is to know about God or about what God is doing in the world and that when we deny the image of God in our fellow humanity, whether they're from Nazareth or Pakistan or Kenya, we are, in fact, denying and rejecting God. A point we would do well to remember on this eve of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So how do we open ourselves up to something new? And how do we help those who seem cemented into one way of thinking about God and Jesus to themselves open up to something new? I love Philip's response. He says, come and see. Come and see. Experience what I've experienced for yourself. He's not defensive. He doesn't react or go on a rant or blow up. He just says, come and see. Now, I think that approach can work for us, and there's something we can learn from that, right? But also, Philip had an advantage in that Jesus actually shows up in the flesh and talks with Nathaniel, so that also helps. So Jesus shows up, and he says something positive about Nathaniel. Here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit, and Nathanael says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And suddenly Nathanael is all in. And he starts laying these titles on Jesus. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. All titles of some significance in the Gospel of John. And so it's no surprise that we hear those titles here in the very first chapter of that Gospel. But the key is that Nathanael opens up to this Jesus that Philip has told him about. What about that fig tree, though? It could be that Nathaniel was literally just chilling under some fig tree, and Jesus has used some sort of Jedi intuition to know about it. But it's also worth remembering that the fig tree is a powerful image throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. It symbolizes peace and tranquility. It's connected to the fulfillment of Israel's dreams of freedom and of coming out from under foreign oppression. And so could it be that Jesus is not so much telling him something about his past as much as something about his future? In other words, now that I am here, you are going to experience peace and tranquility and fullness. It's a powerful word to someone who has just dismissed your hometown. Right? If Jesus had responded like... One of us, he would have come out of the scene and said, Did somebody just say something about Nazareth? Who said that? Did you say that? You want to go? <laughs> but Jesus, like Philip, instead of getting defensive, invites Nathaniel to come and see. And come imagine your own life and what new thing God could do in it. So perhaps there's an invitation to us there in responding to our friends who dismiss something we've experienced out of hand or something for us to learn when we dismiss someone else's experience that we're ready to dismiss out of hand. We're invited to be patient, to invite someone to see for themselves what we have experienced and to remind them that God longs for them to experience peace and fullness as well. Here's the thing. Can you remember any other stories about Nathaniel in the Gospels? Can you think of any other stories about Nathaniel? I can't. Because there aren't any. This is the only Gospel Nathaniel appears in, and this is the only story he shows up in. It's almost as if, in the writer's mind, this is a stand-in for every prospective follower of Jesus. A stand-in for you or for me. Because we can all see ourselves dismissing something new out of hand, expressing prejudice against a place we think we're better than, and yet being invited into something larger and more beautiful and true. And Jesus says, you think that's good? You will see even greater things than these. And so may we remain open to the surprising work of God in our lives. And may we not reject anyone because of where they're from or who we already think they are. Because we're all from somewhere. And wherever that is, God does not reject us. And we see that in Jesus, God welcomes us all. And that is good news. Amen. Amen. Namaste. Namaste. Would you pray with me? God of gracious welcome, would you open our hearts? May you allow us to see the ways in which we have unfairly held wrong ideas about friends, neighbors, people we've never met simply because of the color of their skin, where they come from, how they identify themselves, who they love. May we see that you, in fact, love and welcome us all, and may that welcome penetrate our hearts, that we become, even in a small way, an embodiment of your love to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. To join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.